All right, welcome everyone back from that uh, tremendous lunch. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how, how did that lunch make it to our plate. We're going to talk about the division of labor and the social order. And to get things started, I'd like to uh, set before you sort of two contrasting and conflicting views about the nature of the market division of labor. One comes to us from Herb Thompson, who is a professor of economics at Murdoch University in Perth, Australia. At least he was when this was uh, written. He writes, rather than seeing conflict as an anomaly, it is concluded that conflict is essential. It is an essential and inherent component of the social relations found in capitalism. So capitalism equals conflict. Mises, on the other hand, in his great work, Socialism, uh, writes, the greater productivity of work under the division of labor is a unifying influence. It leads men to regard each other as comrades in a joint struggle for welfare rather than as competitors in a struggle for existence. It makes friends out of enemies, peace out of war, society out of individuals. Now, to understand how the division of labor contributes to society uh, and to the social order, we need to understand the nature of production. Uh, you have already been uh, discussed, uh, this has already been discussed um, a little bit in earlier lectures. Production, we know, is an action. And all laws of human action then apply to the act of production. Well, why do people act? As you heard from Dr. Herbner, they act to attain an end. Uh, what do producers produce? Why do producers produce? They produce to attain their end, economic profit. And to do so, producers seek to economize, just as consumers do. Uh, they don't just produce willy-nilly. They make decisions about how to most effectively attain their end of reaping profits by producing goods in the most economically wise way. Um, and this helps us understand the relative uh, productivities of two main modes of production, and there are two. Uh, the first mode of production we could call uh, direct use. That is where people are producing so that they can use the products themselves. It, uh, none of the production is directed towards the market. It's a production of self-sufficiency. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the old uh, British TV show called Good Neighbors. Uh, the focusing family in that uh, TV show it was all about being self-sufficient. And um, they seemed to be happy, but it didn't really work out that well. Um, that was not the goal of the show, but it, it didn't work out that well. Um, in a direct use production, it's simpler in that there is a direct correspondence between what people want and what they produce. People grow a garden so that they can eat their own vegetables. People build a hut so that they can live in the hut. People raise a cow to milk, and they raise a steer to eat. People make a few pieces of clothing to wear themselves. They're not making these things to trade. They're making them to use. And this mode of production is found primarily in poorer, less developed countries. Uh, the other mode of production is what we could call production for exchange. Production for exchange. It is a mode of production where production is oriented toward what can be sold in the market. People produce goods not because they want to consume them, but because they think that they can trade their products for something that they want more. 
And of course, in a, in a monetary economy, they produce and trade it for money, and then they use their money to spend on other things that they want, what they really, really want, right? the zig-a-zig-ah, so to speak. Production for exchange is production in the market division of labor, the market division of labor. And this is the mode that's found primarily in more developed, wealthier societies. So there is an empirical relationship between uh, the mode of production and uh, societal prosperity. And we find that the more uh, well-developed the division of labor is, the more prosperous society is as well. So let's talk about what we mean by the division of labor. Uh, the division of labors can be defined as the specialization of production according to efficiency. The specialization of production according to efficiency. And there are two important words in that definition. One, specialization, and the other, efficiency. And we're going to take them in turn. Specialization simply means uh, that each person produces a particular good or a set of goods in excess of his personal consumption. Uh, so you're producing more than you want to consume yourself, even if you do consume a little yourself. Uh, my favorite example of this is Mr. James, uh, Jim Snee, Jim Snee, or James P. Snee to be exact. Um, he is the CEO of Hormel Corporation. I don't know if you know what Hormel is. Hormel is a uh, food processing company. Uh, my uncle worked for Hormel, retired from Hormel after probably 25 years of service. And um, they're probably... I would say, well, they've got a number of uh, poster products. You know, they're big on bacon. <laughs> Who isn't? Uh, you can look at me. I, I enjoy my bacon from time to time. And uh, they're also big on spam. Their flagship product is spam. And uh, ja uh, James P. Sneed uh, produces a lot of spam. In fact, it's estimated that over the last year, uh, they produce at least 94 million cans of spam. 94 million cans of Spam. Now, I submit to you that Mr. Snead did not produce all of that Spam so he could consume it himself, which is probably good for him, because if he did, uh, he would no longer be with us. He would have died of a stroke or something else. Um, uh, no, he, he did this. He produced this Spam because he could sell it for money. He could exchange it so with, uh, uh, exchange it with other people uh, for things that he could use then to buy, uh, he could use to buy the products that he wants to buy. He exchanges his product for money in the market economy. And at the same time then, his consumptive ends, uh, his consumptive ends are satisfied or met by others who exchange their excess supply of whatever goods that they have produced and in that way, both he and the people that he trades with benefit one another. So that's specialization. Specialization is each person producing a particular good or set of goods in excess of their personal consumption. Now, what, uh, who produces what in this market division of labor? Who specializes in what within the division of labor will be determined by efficiency. Uh, the different tasks are taken up by the efficient producers. Well, who are the efficient producers? The efficient producers are those producers who uh, enjoy the lowest opportunity cost of production for a particular item. 
Uh, while economists call this principle the division of labor, it actually applies to all factors of production. There is a division of capital goods according to efficiency, as well as a division of land according to efficiency. Um, so that's what we mean by uh, the division of labor. Now Mises, in discussing this uh, social uh, phenomena uh, in human action, on page 157, identifies uh, the division of labor as the fundamental social phenomenon. It's the fundamental social phenomenon is the division of labor and human cooperation. And the division of labor is socially fundamental in two senses. In the first sense, we could say it's fundamental that it seems to have been here as long as humans have been here. It's been here since the beginning of human history. As far back as we have written history, we find evidence of at least some division of labor. Uh, it shows up in the ancient Near East, in Mesopotamia. We find evidence of it in uh, the history of ancient Greece, ancient Rome. Uh, the early chapters of Genesis, the earliest people mentioned in the book, were identified uh, according to what they did, right? Uh, Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. The descendants of Cain... Uh, of which there were several, were all enumerated, interestingly, enumerated by different things that they did, right? Jabel had cattle, Jubal was a musician, Tubal Cain was a metalsmith. I thought if you had a heavy metal band, Tubal Cain would be, <laughs> Tubal Cain, you know, would be an excellent <laughs> name for a heavy metal band. Uh, I'm not really into that thing, but um, just, you know, those ideas, are, you're getting that for free. Um, so, so it's socially fundamental in that way. It's always been with us, it seems. It's also fundamental in that the division of labor is the great impetus for the formation of society. Right? The reason people come together in society uh, beyond their own families is so that they can move and integrate with that region's division of labor. Society is, in other words, people, you know, I, I moved to Grove City because I wanted to participate in its division of labor. I wanted to be part of Grove City College and do, and do my thing there. Um, people move to different communities so that they can integrate into that region's uh, division of labor. And so it, it's the impetus for coming together and forming society. And Mises notes that society is only possible, society is only possible because of the fact of the greater productivity of the division of labor and people's recognition of that fact. Right? So people recognize that the division of labor specializing according to efficiency is more productive and therefore they begin to participate in it and as they do so, right, they become dependent on other people to produce other things for themselves just as people become to depend on them for the thing in which they are specializing. Now, people uh, find it in their interest to specialize in making those goods, as we said, is what they're most efficient, uh, at which they are the low opportunity cost uh, producer. Um, and they do so because the division of labor is more productive than production for direct use. Right? And um, we can find this in, in the standard uh, quantitative relationship. We can first look, okay, what are the relative efficiencies of two different people? And uh, we can look at Groucho and Harpo. Uh, Groucho and Harpo could produce either mangoes or beef. And uh, if we look at Groucho, um, he can, if he spends all this time and resources producing mangoes, he can produce 300 mangoes. 
if he produce, spends all of his time and resources producing beef, he can produce 600 pounds of beef. Right? So those are his relative production possibilities. Harpo, on the other hand, if he, produce, if he spends all of his time and resources and energy producing mangoes, he can produce 100 mangoes. On the other hand, if he uh, spends all of his time and effort and energy and resources producing beef, he can produce 400 uh, pounds of beef. And so uh, if we look and say, well, who's better at which good? Well, from an opportunity or from an absolute advantage uh, perspective, we could find that in terms of proficiency, Groucho is better uh, than Harpo at producing both mangoes and beef. Uh, Groucho can produce 300. Harpo, if he specializes, only produces 100. In terms of beef, Groucho produces, can produce 600. The best Harpo can do is 400, right? So uh, Groucho has what we call an absolute advantage in uh, both goods. Right? And of course, M. Smith identified that well, if two different people have uh, absolute advantages in different goods, it's beneficial for them to specialize in what they have an absolute advantage of. Uh, but what if somebody like Groucho has an absolute advantage in both goods? What then? Well, that's where it pays to specialize according to efficiency. And it turns out right, that uh, efficiency here is what we call, some, some people call comparative advantage. Uh, who is the efficient producer of mangoes? Who is the efficient producer of beef? How do we know? Well, it's determined by the opportunity cost of production. So we look at mangoes, and we look at the situation of Groucho. If Groucho produces mangoes, he can specialize in producing uh, 300 mangoes in a period of time. On the other hand, to do that, to specialize in mango production, what does he have to do? He has to give up the opportunity of specializing in producing beef. So he gives up 600 pounds of beef to produce 300 mangoes. And so his cost of producing mangoes is two pounds of beef. The opportunity cost for Groucho producing mangoes is two pounds of beef. Harpo, on the other hand, if he specializes in mango production, he can produce 100, but he gives up the opportunity of producing 400 pounds of beef. And so for every mango that Harpo produces, he gives up four pounds of beef. So the opportunity cost uh, of producing mangoes for Groucho is two pounds of beef, for Harpo it's four pounds of beef. Now if we look at the other way, uh, what about beef production? Well, if Groucho produces specializes in beef production, he produces 600 pounds of uh, beef. If he does that, then he gives up the opportunity of producing 300 mangoes, and so it costs him a half a mango for every pound of beef that he produces. On the other hand, if, he, if, if Harpo produces four pounds of beef, he gives up the opportunity of producing 100 uh, mangoes, so it costs him a fourth of a mango to produce a pound of beef. Right? So now we have different opportunity costs. And we find that if we, if we take a look at the opportunity cost, we find that Groucho, I'm sorry, the Harpo is the uh, low-cost producer of beef. Groucho is a low-cost producer of mangoes. It only costs Groucho two pounds of beef for every mango he produces, where it costs Harpo four pounds of beef for every uh, for, uh, for every uh, mango he produces. So Groucho has a lower opportunity cost producing mangoes. Right? Well, what about beef? Right? Who has a comparative advantage producing beef? 
Well, how much does it cost Groucho to produce one pound of beef? It costs him a half a mango. How much does it cost Harper to produce one pound of beef? It costs him a fourth of a mango. And even in the new math, I think one fourth is less than a half. Right? Uh, Outcomes-based education doesn't change. Right? One fourth is less than a half. And so Harpo is the low cost, the low opportunity cost producer of beef. And once we identify who is the opportunity cost of what, then we can say, okay, then what happens when people specialize? What happens if people specialize according to efficiency? They specialize in those items at which they are the low cost producer. And let's suppose that we do this. And we can look to see the benefits of the, the, the productive benefits, the production benefits of the division of labor by looking at the case, okay, let's suppose that they produce for direct use, and then compare that where they are specializing according to efficiency. And we can say, okay, let's suppose that they are producing for direct use and they divide their time evenly. So Groucho divides half his time and resources producing mangoes, and then he spends half his time and resources producing beef, and Harpo does the same thing. And if Groucho does this, if Groucho does this, then he can produce 150 mangoes and 300 pounds of beef, and if Harpo does the same thing, he can produce 50 mangoes and 200 pounds of beef. So total output, total output becomes 200 mangoes and 500 pounds of beef. Now let us suppose that Harpo and Groucho specialize and produce according to efficiency. And in this case, we're going to say Harpo completely specializes. It's not in his interest to produce any uh, mangoes at all, and he completely specializes in beef production. Uh, Groucho partially specializes, spending three-quarters of his time in resources producing mangoes and one-fourth of his time in resources producing beef. If he does this, Groucho can produce 225 mangoes and 150 pounds of beef. Harpo, remember, completely specializes, so he produces zero mangoes and 400 pounds of beef. And if they do this, if they produce in this pattern, Note, their total productivity of both goods increase. Um, the total number of mangoes, it goes up to 225, and beef increased to 550. And so both are able, as a society specializing, both together are able to produce more. Right? Now, of course, um, producing more is uh, good, but people don't produce just for fun. They're not producing for production's sake. The great benefit comes they get to consume more. Right? They get to use more of these goods that they are producing. And so that's the key benefit. Both parties not only benefit in terms of total production, they benefit in terms of consumption. Both are able to consume more of each. Right? Given the uh, total uh, quantity of mangoes and beef that they are producing, Groucho and Harpo can come to an agreement uh, on an exchange ratio. And if they come to an ex agreement and exchange uh, beef uh, and mangoes at a ratio of one mango for three pounds of beef, right, they can arrange exchange so that they can both consume more. Right? Harpo can trade 180 pounds of beef to Groucho for 60 mangoes. Harpo can trade 180 pounds of beef to Groucho for, uh, for 60 mangoes in return. 
So Harpo, so Groucho, Groucho, who produced 225 uh, mangoes, trades away 60 of them to Harpo. So uh, Groucho is able to consume 165 mangoes. That's, that's a lot of mangoes, I know, but he likes mangoes. He's, a, he's sort of a simple carbohydrate kind of guy. And, uh, and at the same time, uh, Harpo can also consume 60 mangoes, right? He was producing zero, but he received 60 in exchange. Um, uh, in terms of uh, beef, uh, Groucho was producing 150 pounds of beef, and then he can receive in exchange 180 pounds, so he can consume a total of 130 um, Harpo specialized in beef production. He produced 400 pounds of beef, but he traded away 180, so that leaves him at a uh, total of 220. Right? Uh, pay no attention to that total column to the side. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but in any event, in terms of the gain, let's look at the bottom, the bottom column of the gain. Right? Groucho gained in consumption 15 mangoes and 30 pounds of beef. Harpo gained in consumption 10 mangoes and 20 pounds of beef. Um, important point here, an important point here. Both parties benefited, right? In neither case do we have Groucho benefiting at the expense of Harpo or Harpo benefiting at the expense of Groucho, right? There's no, you know, uh, uh, strong, uh, powerful capitalist, you know, grinding poor Harpo into the ground. Both parties benefited. And this improved productivity, this improved this improved productivity um, benefited not only the party that was better at both goods, but importantly, it benefited Harpo, who was less proficient at producing both goods. Right? And so note that the uh, market division of labor, the phenomenon of the division of labor benefits not only the very productive, but it also benefits the relatively less productive. Right? It's, one of the great, it's one of the great blessings that we get from society. Right? Also, it's important to note that improved productivity is not the result of specialization per se. It's not just as if we have like the wheel of specialization, and I don't know what I want to specialize in. I'm going to spin it, do, 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 and then Harpo comes out, you know, Shazam, uh, beef, right? No, Harpo... You know, or, or mangoes. If it comes up mangoes, I'm going to specialize in mangoes. You imagine what would happen if they did it in the opposite. What happened if Groucho specialized in beef production and Harpo specialized in mango production? If they did that, total productivity would fall right, compared to even direct use production. And so um, it, it's not just specialization per se that leads to increased productivity. Well, that begs the question, then what accounts for the differences in the relative costs of production for different people? What, what, what accounts for that? Why, why is that the case? Uh, well, we find that there are, it's differences. It's the variety, it's the diversity in the world that opens the door to the benefits of the division of labor. Uh, the differences in the suitability of natural resources matters. Right? Um, uh, you don't find, for instance, a lot of king crab harvesting going on in the sand hills of western Nebraska. Uh, and I, I haven't done extensive research on this, but I suspect it's because there are no king crabs in the 
sandhills of western Nebraska, right? There's no salt water. There's no habitat for them. What you do find is uh, miles and square miles of open space, open grassland upon which a lot of cattle graze. Uh, there's a lot of cattle that is raised in western Nebraska. Uh, why? Because the natural resources are very suitable for that, right? Uh, likewise, in, you know, in the Alaskan coastline, not a lot of cattle being raised there. Right? And so differences in the suitability of natural resources helps explain why certain people in different regions specialize in, in certain things. Also, the differences in the given cattle, or di different uh, capital endowments, uh, differences in given uh, capital endowments helps explain the pattern of who specializes in what. Um, you know, if, 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 you know in, the, in the old days, right, you can imagine people's names uh, like uh, Cooper and Smith. Uh, they were family names because there were people in that family that did the same business generation after generation, right? Um, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to hear people in the old days talking like, uh, you know, looking at something, maybe looking at their business or taking out and looking at the back 40 and say, someday, son, this will all be yours, right? In other words, you're going to inherit this, right? And if I'm a blacksmith, and I, or I'm the son of a blacksmith, and I inherit my father's shop, I inherit a lot of uh, equipment, a lot of capital goods that are suitable for blacksmithing, not so suitable for harvesting king crabs or engaging in cattle ranching, right? And so that is going to make it relatively less costly for me to become a blacksmith also, especially if I have uh, the skills to be a decent blacksmith, right? It, 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 especially if, my, say, my father apprenticed me as a blacksmith. And so the differences in given capital endowments uh, will have an impact on what people are relatively uh, efficient at producing. Now, of course, if we have an active capital market, um, the capital endowments are, are somewhat less fixed, right? And now, I mean, if, if you inherit certain capital goods, if you can trade them away because you just don't, you just don't like blacksmithing, uh, you know, it's, as I said, you're not a, you're not a two-ball cane kind of guy. Uh, you don't like the clang-clang. Um, it doesn't remind you of the trolley. Uh, then um, you're, you know, you'd be more likely to say, well, I'm, I'm going to sell this, and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be a, a, a painter. I'm going to be engaged in watercoloring or something, you know, you're going to do something else, something different. And so, you know, having an active capital market actually helps facilitate uh, the moving of capital from people that don't want to use it to people that do want to use it because it's more valuable in their hands. But um, in any event, capital endowments do have an impact on uh, the pattern of the division of labor. Uh, thirdly, the differences in the skill and desirability of labor, right? The differences in the skill and desirability of labor. Some people are simply just better at something. If, if you know, uh, uh, Groucho may have had sort of a green thumb and made him good at, at, at raising mangoes, whereas Harpo, you know, he touched a plant and just, it, it died, right? It was, it was, it was like the, he was like the grim reaper of, of uh, you know, horticulturalist. But he was great at animal husbandry, right? And so he was an excellent, uh, excellent rancher or something. And that also will have an impact. Um, it's somewhat interesting, you think of uh, the basketball player Michael Jordan, right? There's a period in time where Michael Jordan sort of retired, and then he turned to something else. Remember what he turned to? Yeah, baseball, right? He turned to baseball uh, because his dad sort of always wanted to be a baseball player. Um, and um, 
And most people go, oh, I know, and he was horrible. I mean, he never made it to the majors. He was horrible. Well, he was, wasn't major league quality. wasn't horrible. I mean, the vast majority of people can't even make it to the minors, right? So he's not horrible. Uh, he's just a whole lot better at being a basketball player. He's a whole lot, he was not dominant playing baseball. He's dominant uh, playing, a, playing basketball. So the differences in the skill and desirability of labor also then will um, affect how these patterns uh, play out. Um, also, we could say, too, that it's not just the um, sort of the differences in the quantity of capital or the differences in the quantity of resources, but it's the, it's, it's the quality and the diversity of resources that, that sort of help determine uh, or, or, shall we say, open the door to specialization according to efficiency. Right? Uh, now, the example we went through is what we could call an example or an illustration of what Mises calls the law of association. Law of association says each factor of production is efficient in some line of production. Essentially, it says each factor of production is efficient in some line of production. Um, this is a development and universalization of the law of comparative advantage uh, by Mises. Um, as I said before, sort of implied before, it doesn't apply only to labor, but the law of association also applies to land and capital goods. And the point is simply that as each factor is utilized according to its efficiency, people will reap the most output for the resources utilized. And so as people specialize according to uh, efficiency, according to uh, the low opportunity cost, together people will reap the most output that is possible for the given resources utilized in any society. And one implication of this is that employment can expand indefinitely. There's always some place where labor can be employed in a low opportunity cost situation. As long as land is relatively abundant, there are things that can be produced upon that land with labor as labor specializes. Um, the only limitation then are what we could call uh, technical limitations. Right? If, if, in other words, there's no economic limitation per se, but, but if, for instance, the population would increase so much so that every inch of land is taken up by production with people left over, then it would be hard for people to find a way to participate in the market division of labor. But as long as we don't have that, as long as we have not used up every square inch in production and then have people left over, there is still a place for people to find their way in the market division of labor, producing something at which they are the low opportunity cost producer. Now, one of the uh, contributions of the Austrian school through Mises is his identifying of a number of social effects and emphasizing some of the social effects on the division of labor. Um, as people specialize in production according to efficiency, the initial differences that contributed to the pattern of specialization become even more pronounced. In other words, as people specialize because of relative differences, those differences can become even more pronounced. Specialization, think of specialization within the division of labor according to geography, right, given the natural resources we talked about. As people specialize in, say, cattle ranching in Nebraska or king crab harvesting in uh, Alaska, 
as that happens, the um, the investment in capital goods they make, the the, the alterations to the geography that they make. Um, intensifies the differences, right? So if you, um, we're going to do cattle ranching, you do need a fence. You put up a fence. You put up a fence uh, with certain types of gates that make it more, even more efficient to produce cattle than, than, than it was before. Or um, if you, you know, alter the geography some way in Alaska that makes it more easier to get uh, king crabs from the water onto the land and to market. Um, you know, the, the development of even sort of inf infrastructure. Those things, those alterations of the geography will intensify the relative efficiencies that lead to the pattern of the division of labor. A specialization also increases the in inequality of skills over time. Right? As more people spend more of their time doing the same task, they become more skillful in that task. Right? I've told the story before. My dad, who uh, worked at a meatpacking plant for the first 20 years of his life, and when he moved from a beef plant that, that got sold to somebody else to a pork plant, you know, you go in, and then he went in, the new guy's on the lowest rung of the, uh, of run the ladder in terms of, um, you know, time of, uh, the time you spent working there. And, um, and those people tend to get the jobs that are least attractive. And so for the first, I don't know, couple years, he was a tongue trimmer. And uh, it is what it sounds like. He was uh, trimming pork tongues. He did that eight hours a day uh, so that I could, you know, someday go to college and not have to be a tongue trimmer. And uh, he, the, the, the whole operation was on a timed chain, a production chain. So he would stand, he'd stand at a table, and every four and a half seconds, he would get a pork tongue sliding down the chute, landing on his table. And he would have to trim the spit glands off of the pork tongues. And when he first started, he told me that he was not that good at it. He was okay, but there would be a pork tongue backup, shall we say. Not as bad as sewer backup, but still uh, backup. And uh, so when, it, when the bell rang or the whistle blew, time for break, dad couldn't go to break. He had to continue to work through the backup, and so he would go to break and maybe two minutes later than everybody else. But as he did that job, he got better and better knowing how to, just how to work the knife, how to turn the, turn the tongue in the flight right, right way to make the right cut. He became so proficient that he never had a backup, unless it was desired. Uh, he, when the, he wouldn't have a backup. The whistle for his break would hit. He would go off and to break. Then whistle uh, sounds for everybody to go back to work. He could stay for another couple minutes and enjoy a little bit longer cup of coffee. Then he would go back, seeing that there is, of course, two minutes worth of tongue backup. But he came so proficient at this task through specialization that he could work through the backup and there, to, to the point there would be no uh, backlog of tongues by the end of the day. Right? And so that's just a simple example of how specialization uh, increases one's labor and skill as you continue to do it again and again. Now, of course, you can't just say, oh, I want to specialize in, I want to specialize in being a Major League Baseball player and, you know, click your heels and, you know, there's no place like Cooperstown, no place like Cooperstown, right? You can't do that. You have to have skills 
and abilities to begin with. Um, but an interesting point that Rupka makes uh, along these lines too is that it's the division of labor that allows for the development of the professional. It allows for people to so specialize their talents, specialize their time in, in, in practice, in rehearsal, et cetera, that it can elevate the level of skill beyond that of, of the amateur. Right? We would not have uh, professionals if we did not have, uh, or to that extent, if we did not have the division of labor. And so that, that matters. Another important social effect that Mises likes to emphasize is that uh, this increased productivity that results from the market division of labor is a, the key factor that allowed mankind to escape the Darwinian struggle for survival. This idea that, that there's limited resources, and I want some, and you want some. I think it was, I think it was Van Halen says, everybody wants some, I want some too. And, and how are we going to settle this? Well, we're going to fight, right? We're going to duke it out and the fittest wins, right? Uh, the market division of labor allows us to get past that, to move away from that type of thinking. Why? Because in the market division of labor, each participant, Groucho, Harpo, you and I, both serves one another and is served by one another. Each participant both serves and is served by other people. And so contrary to what the enemies of the market want you and everybody else to believe. A market economy does not promote atomistic individualism. It does not. Right? Uh, an understanding of the market economy does not lead one to think that I'm the only person that matters. No. It promotes community. Right? Because the market division of labor means that I rely on everybody else specializing in other things that I want to consume like they specialize in what I do if they happen to want to consume economics lectures. Right? And so the greater productivity of work under the division of labor is a unifying influence. It's a unifying influence. It leads men to regard each other as comrades in the joint struggle for welfare. And Mises uses this term in socialism. I think it's kind of, you know, sort of a, like a nice little ha-ha-ha, you know, comrades, uh, in the struggle for welfare, right? Uh, you're, you're, not, you're not comrades in the sense that you're struggling to get more of whatever the government gets to give you, right? You're, you're comrades in arms helping the other people. You're sort of, you're not comrades of arms even. You're sort of comrades of production, right? Helping other people. And um, so as Mises says, it leads men to regard each other as comrades in the joint struggle for welfare rather than competitors in a struggle for existence. It makes friends out of enemies, peace out of war, society out of individuals, right? even if you don't even know the people, right, really. Right? It, it, it puts you in a situation to help each other through production and exchange. And so it, it, it opens the eyes for us to see that the market division of labor, in the market division of labor, the fundamental relationship is a cooperative relationship. It's not fundamentally competitive. It's fundamentally cooperative. Now, there are limits to the division of labor, right? There are limits to the division of labor. Uh, probably the, the, the best single statement written by Adam Smith was the division of labor is limited by the extent of the market. What that means is it only, it, it's only beneficial to specialize in the production of something for which there is a market, right? You, again, specialization per se doesn't 
help you, right? You have to specialize. If you can't trade what you are producing, you're not going to be able to benefit and participate in the market division of labor. You know? Let's suppose that, that, uh, that Chico comes along. You have Groucho and Harpo specializing in mango and beef production, and Chico comes along, and he has always liked science, and he uh, particularly loves rocket science, so that's what he wants to specialize in. There's an island with Groucho and Harpo, and they're specializing in beef and mangoes, and, and they've had to make their own makeshift lean-tos. Rocket science, given the primitive nature of the island, not probably the most highly demand skill uh, or good uh, in that society. Right? And so Chico decides, well, I can't do that. Maybe I can make huts or butter. Right? He, he can do those things too. Those things are in demand, and so it benefits him to specialize in those things, right? So the division of labor is limited by the extent of the market. Now, what that means is then to extend the division of labor, to allow for more, its more development, it, it, its expansion, its extension, and there, thereby benefit by increased product, productivity, we need only to bring others into the market. We need to allow people to participate in the market. That's the number one thing that... Uh, we can do in a more developed country, if we want to see less developed countries become more prosperous, the number one thing that they can do is to plug themselves into the global division of labor, to help them, to, 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 to encourage them and allow them to be participants in the, the, the market division of labor. Because as the extent of the market increases, that allows for more specialization and uh, according to efficiency. And so that allows for an expansion of the division of labor. As that happens, Everybody becomes more productive, right? Groucho and Harpo no longer need to even spend any time building a hut. Now Chico can do it. So Chico builds the huts. Groucho and Harpo specialize even more in mango and beef production. So they become even more productive. And so Chico can make his huts, and then he gets more mangoes and beef as well. And then that then sows the seed for even, we should say, even more purchasing power. They can trade even more huts and more mangoes and beef to somebody else that comes along. Maybe Gummo comes along, producing shoes. Zeppo comes along, producing, I don't know, uh, Broadway shows uh, or what have you, you know, little bits of entertainment or what have you. Um, and so production increases. The extent of the market expands even more, allows even more division of labor, which allows for even more production, which expands the extent of the market even more, which encourages even more division of labor, et cetera, et cetera. And see, so we have this sort of germ of a seed of a theory of ec economic uh, progress. Now, this whole ball of wax, the whole ball of wax, uh, related to the uh, market division of labor is dependent upon the ability to exchange. Right? We must be able to exchange what we produce. Without the ability to trade, we have to produce everything we consume ourselves. Now, we can only engage in exchange in an environment of private property. People have to have the right, the ability and the right to trade what they produce to others for there to be specialization and production according to efficiency. Hence, in order to take advantage of the division of labor and all the blessings that come from it, society must embrace private property. People have to have the right to property, and it needs to be uh, 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 recognized and uh, defended in society. And as we have, then, the proper social institutions, 
that allows for the development of this market division of labor, we find that the division of labor integrates the society into an economic order. This is not an anarchy, it's an economic order that requires coordination. Coordination, dare I say, that requires entrepreneurship that uh, Dr. Klein mentioned earlier today. Um, production in the market division of labor is more challenging than uh, production for direct use in a particular way. Producers do not know exactly what other people want. Right? If, if I'm producing for myself, I know, well, ah, I want to I I grow some lettuce. I want to grow some radishes. Why? Because I like lettuce. I like radishes. And I know that because I am me. Right? Uh, I don't necessarily know what other people like. Even if you ask them, right, they could change their minds. Right? And certainly you can't just sort of look in your eyes and sort of intuit, ooh, she's a lettuce person. <laughs> He's more of a radish person. Ooh, rutabaga. No, I mean, <laughs> we don't have that ability, right? And so how does all this production, all the production in the market division of labor, how is it all coordinated? Right? Well, the producers, the entrepreneurs, need to make objective product productive decisions about the future subjective preferences of other people. Um, and uh, even more, uh, shall we say, even, uh, even what makes it even more complicated is that the specialized production of higher order capital goods requires a corresponding quantity of complementary factors that allows all of these higher order goods to be used together to produce whatever it is we want to produce. So there's a whole lot of coordination going on, to quote uh, Jerry Lee Lewis. And um, coordination does not just happen. It requires economic calculation, as you will see uh, later on as well, or have seen. Um, it requires monetary prices, market monetary prices. Economic calculation then requires a medium of exchange, so the prices of goods that entrepreneurs use to produce this good or that good in the market division of labor uh, are all enumerated in the same unit, right? the monetary unit. And for the calculation to be meaningful, in other words, so that people will use calculation to produce goods that are profitable and for the profitable goods to actually be the goods that society prefers more than other goods, those prices must be arrived at through voluntary exchange. The prices must be manifestations of people's subjective preferences. Voluntary exchange, there we're back at private property. We're back at private property. So private property is a key social institution that allows this unifying process of the market division of labor to flourish. And uh, sound money also, and will be lectures shortly on money, sound and unsound, perhaps. Um, sound money is important because you need prices that are not you know, ridiculously volatile because of manipulation by the state. Because if the entrepreneur is going to use prices to calculate profit and loss to plan for the future, if the government is manipulating the money system hither and yon, those prices become less meaningful. And therefore, the decisions made based on those prices will be uh, more or less an error, and the whole system can get snarled up. And what could have been a very prosperous market division of labor can get snarled up and become uh, a, an economic uh, disaster. And with that, I will stop, and uh, <laughs> time for break. <laughs>